Will you join me again in thanking this worship team for leading us? My goodness. We've had two wonderful worship services. I love being with you each weekend, and one of the things I love the most is your incredible worship ministry leadership. You've got incredibly gifted singers, musicians, leaders. I am so thankful uh, to be here with them each and every week. If you agree with me, then I hope you'll join me next week, next Sunday night. We've got the night of worship. It's going to be an incredible time of worship. We're going to be singing some of your favorite songs next Sunday night. I hope you'll be here. I'll be here. I'm looking forward to Mark and Kenny leading us, and it's going to be a great time of worship uh, next Sunday. We had a great time of worship last Sunday night at our Lake Baptism service. Here's what the Lord did. He turned Kentucky Lake into one of the largest baptistries ever. Isn't that pretty amazing? Amen. 21 of uh, your fellow brothers and sisters were baptized this past Sunday. This morning, as, as Hank mentioned, made 72, I believe, for the church here, which ties your record. God, God is doing amazing things here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church. Thank you. And I think that's in large part due to your incredible staff. You, I don't know how well you're aware of how blessed you are to have such a great team of ministers who's continued to serve your church well, guide your church, lead, evangelize. And I just want you to know, you've got a great team here at Lone Oak First Baptist. I appreciate uh, Kenny recognizing my birthday today. Um, my parents actually surprised me by coming down to celebrate my birthday. Bonnie and Dan are here with me uh, today uh, because today uh, I turned a big 5-0, turned 50. Uh, I'm just joking. I'm not 50. Um, I just figure if I tell people I'm 50, they're like, you know, he looks pretty good for 50. I'm still in my early 40s, thankfully, so uh, I'm not quite the big, uh, big 5-0. Hey, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 today. There's no place I'd rather be on my birthday than preaching uh, with you, celebrating what God's Word has to say to us. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to continue just like we did last week, go verse by verse through uh, this chapter of Ruth. And we are going to go verse by verse explaining what's happening. Then we come to the end of the sermon. We're going to talk about three application points, three things that point toward the gospel Uh, from Ruth chapter 2. Well, as we prepare to uh, hear what God would say to us, let's go to him in prayer. Ask him to speak to us in a mighty way. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. I pray you'd speak through me. Help me to communicate your message to your people for your glory's sake. Lord, I pray you help this word to penetrate our hearts. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few months ago, a friend and I decided at the last minute to go to a movie. And because it was the last minute, we arrived about 15 or 20 minutes late into the movie. And I don't know what happened in those first 15 minutes, but it must have been pretty important. Because I spent the next two hours of my life completely lost about what's going on. Well, I don't want you to spend the next two hours of your life lost. And so I want to share with you a little what happened in Ruth chapter 1, in case you weren't here last week. It's the time of the judges in the town of Bethlehem. There's a guy named Elimelech. His wife's name is Naomi. They've got two sons, Malon and Kilion. Naomi's name means sweetness or sweetie pie. That's important to know. And a famine strikes Bethlehem, and Elimelech and Naomi take their two boys to the country of Moab. It's kind of a detestable place. The Israelites don't really like the Moabites and vice versa. There in Moab, Elimelech dies. Naomi's left a widow and her two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women. Well, over the next 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also die and they never had children. And so the story directs itself toward these three widowed women, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. 
and what they're going to do for food and a family. And Naomi makes a decision that she's going to return home to Bethlehem and she urges her two daughters-in-law to stay there in Moab. Orpah takes her up on that, but Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. And she gives us some passion plea in Ruth chapter 1. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In that moment, Ruth is in the midst of tragedy, is turning to God to trust in Him. At the same time, that Naomi is turning away from God in bitterness. Because when they arrive back in Bethlehem, Naomi changes her name. And she says, don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara, the word that means bitter, because I am bitter because of what God has done to me. And we left with this question last week. How do we respond in the midst of tragedy? Do we turn to God and trust Him? Or do we turn away from God in bitterness? And so we open up chapter 2 with that picture on our mind... And we're going to see first and foremost that in chapter 2 we see the kindness. We see kindness develop. First we see the kindness of Ruth to care for her mother-in-law. And then ultimately we'll see the kindness of Boaz. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now the passage, we've not met Boaz yet. It's kind of the director's kind of cutting away from the scene. The narrators are cutting away from the scene saying, here's this guy named Boaz out here. All, he, all we know is he's of the same clan as Elimelech and he's a man of standing, which means he's got some wealth and he's a, he's a stand-up type of guy. He continues, verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let's go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. The narrator again reminds us that Ruth is a Moabite. Perhaps you can identify with her. She's a new believer. She has no money. She's single. She's just went through a tragedy. She's in a new place and knows no one except for her mother-in-law. And she's trying to provide for her mother-in-law, Naomi, by gleaning grain. What she was going to do is go to the field and walk behind the harvesters and try to pick up some of what they left, uh, what was left over. I grew up in central Kentucky, and the area I grew up in, uh, almost every farmer had a little patch of tobacco that they would grow. I don't know if it was the same down in West Kentucky or not, but I kind of grew up in that environment. And uh, there was a big process of pulling the plants and planting the tobacco and weeding the tobacco and topping the tobacco. And then it came time to harvest. You would you'd, uh, cut the tobacco, you'd spear it, put it on a stick, you'd load it on a, on a wagon, hang it in a barn, and do that through that harvest process, some of the leaves might break off. And some of the farmers were really concerned about that. They wanted to get all the harvest. And so they'd have kids, uh, maybe their grandkids or the youngest kid in their family, walking the, uh, walk the rows, picking up all the leaves that have fall, fallen off the tobacco, put them in a rubber band and hanging them in the barn. They didn't want any to go to waste. Well, what they were doing in that process was gleaning the field, picking up anything that had been left. And in the book of, in, in the Old Testament, it describes this, in, in the book of Leviticus, it says that the fields of, of, of Israel, you should not glean your own field. That this was God's way of providing for poor or widowed people. God told the farmers in Israel, don't glean your fields. In fact, if you drop something on the ground, leave it and let the poor, destitute immigrants, people come and pick up. It was their way to be provided for. And so Ruth is leaving the house that day. She's looking for two things. One, remember this is the time of the judges when people did whatever they wanted to do. 
Is there anybody still left in Bethlehem who actually follows God's law for gleaning the fields? And two, is there anyone in Bethlehem who's following the law that will allow a despised Moabite to glean the field? Verse 3, so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, the narrator is almost winking at us. Because he knows what God's doing in, in this process. It just so happened. Coincidentally. But we know there's no coincidence, right? It's a God incidence that's happening here in Ruth 2. Verse 4. Just then, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. I mean, this is just too much. The lady arrives in the field, and just as Ruth arrives in the field, so does Boaz. And he approaches her. He sees her as soon as they get there. It's like one of those sappy love uh, romantic movies where things happen that you would never dream could ever actually happen in real life, you know? Like, you ever been watching a movie with your wife or with your girlfriend or fiancé and, like, something like... Like she's sitting in, in his seat on the airplane and he asks her to move and they have a conversation and they're engaged at the layover. Like that stuff doesn't really happen. And you're watching the movie thinking, this is just too much. I can't take it any longer. And you look over at your wife or your fiance and they're just crying. It's just so sweet. It's just so romantic. And you're like, come on, this never really happens. Except if it's orchestrated by a sovereign God. And that's what we see is happening here. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvest, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replies, she's the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Ruth catches Boaz's eye, and then she captures his heart. Boaz, we'll learn later, already knows about Ruth. He's heard about the Moabite woman who returned from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi. He's heard about this woman who who deserted her own family to care for this lady who needed care for, and the tragedy they've experienced. He's heard about the faithfulness and goodness and kindness of this woman, Ruth. So Boaz says to Ruth, this is verse 8, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. If you don't know it, this is an Old Testament pickup line. Just stay here, honey. Don't go to anybody else. Stay in this field. Boaz's kindness manifests itself in two ways. One, we see Boaz's provision. He gives her full access to the fields. Stay here, follow the harvesters, and you'll get all that you need. Then he says, if you're thirsty, go to the water pitchers that the men have filled and have something to drink. In the day and time when Jews would never drink after Moabites and Moabites would never drink after Jews, and let alone women were the one to fill the jars, but here it's the men filling the jars to serve Ruth, the incredible provision of Boaz. We also see Boaz's protection. He orders the man, don't touch her, don't harass her. Boaz is instituting the very first 
anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace. That's what he's doing. All you HR people will be proud of Boaz. None of you men are supposed to touch this lady. Leave her alone. You're safe here. Verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you should notice me a foreigner? She's shocked. Why would this man, this chieftain as he would be, this rich, wealthy landowner, why is he showing me such kindness, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, verse 11, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I have not the standing of one of your servants. We see here Boaz is starting to take an interest in Ruth. And for those of you here today who are are single and maybe you're dating or you want to be dating or want to be married, I just want to take a quick aside, Boaz's approach here. He doesn't talk about how beautiful Ruth is. We don't know what Ruth looks like. But what attracts him to Ruth is her kindness and her sacrifice for people she loves. You know, You remember the book of Proverbs, it says uh, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. And that's what we're looking for in a spouse. Someone who honors God, who honors their family, is kind to people. Boaz is blown away by this woman's faithfulness. Blown away by her generosity. He acknowledges that she started to follow God. He says that you've been placed under the wing of the Lord. This great imagery in the Bible where God described as like an eagle who brings us under his wing. And Jesus uh, describes himself like a, like a mother hen who brings her, her chicks under her wings, gathers them under her wings. This picture, he's saying that, Ruth, you have started following God. You're under the Lord's wings. And we see in this section incredibly kindness on the part of Naomi and kindness on the part of Boaz. Then we see Boaz's kindness turn to generosity in part two of chapter two. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. This is their first date. It's lunchtime. Let's have a meal together. And they have roasted grain. I'm not sure what roasted grain is. I'm picturing like corn nuts is what they're having. Um, they're having this meal. And then they've got bread and they're dipping in the wine vinegar. Have you all ever been to those restaurants where they bring out the bread? It's nice, crusty, great crust on the bread. Then the waiter brings that little dish and puts it in the middle of the table and that bottle of olive oil, he just pours it out. Then they add those little spices and then they mix something else in and they twirl it all around. You take the bread and you dip it in that oil and you eat it. Oh my goodness. Glory. (laughs) Hey man, I'll give you a little tip. You want a pressured lady, you take her to that kind of place. I mean romantic, fancy. Fancy like Applebee's on a date night. (laughs) Little Bourbon Street shake and an Oreo shake. Okay. (laughs) Moving along. She eats all she wants, and then she's got a to-go box. 
It says she had all she wanted, and then he gave her the leftovers to take home. So she's got this little doggy bag to take home. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He's showing his generosity by saying, Ruth, you don't have to pick up grain like all the other people do. In fact, he's telling his workers, hey, pull out some of the stalks and lay them on the ground as if you just dropped them. So that she can get some of the some of the great part of the harvest. It's almost like he's not wanting to remove her dignity, but he's wanting to provide for. It's kind of like let's imagine you someone needed money, and you don't want to come up to them and just say, "Hey, here's a hundred dollars," and make them feel like they don't have dignity. But you instead you drop a hundred dollar bill on the ground and let them find it. That's what he's doing here for her. Boaz wants to provide for Ruth. He wants to protect Ruth. Verse 17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Now, how much is an ephah? Well, one commentary I read says it's about two-thirds of a bushel. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. What's two-thirds of a bushel? Two-thirds of a bushel of barley would have weighed about 30 to 50 pounds. Now, to give you a picture of how much barley that is, in that day and time in ancient Babylonian, average day's wages for a worker was about one to two pounds of barley. She has just gleaned Almost a month's worth of food. This amazing generosity we see on the behalf of Boaz. You can sit at my table. You can eat with my servants. You can eat with my family. And I'm going to give you a month's haul of food. So we see his kindness. We see his generosity. And then we see the return. Two returns here. The return of Ruth to Naomi. And then we're going to see a return on behalf of Naomi. Here's what it says. Verse 18. She carried it back to town. Now that's how you know Ruth's been working out. Sister puts 30 pounds of barley on her back. There had to be a CrossFit gym there in Bethlehem somewhere. She's been working out. She's packing the the grain back. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out all and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Ruth carries this back to town. Picture Naomi's face. Naomi has been sitting at home waiting for Ruth to come back, worried sick. I wonder if Ruth got hurt in one of the fields. Surely none of the men took advantage of her. I wonder if she found a field where where someone would allow her to glean, a Moabite woman would allow her to glean. I would be out there too, but I'm old and I'm unable to do this. I wonder if she'll bring back enough food for us to have something to eat tonight. Bitter, sour Naomi is surprised when Ruth comes to the door looking like Santa Claus with this sack of grain. And she plops it down on the ground and then she pulls out a doggy bag, a to-go bag to give to her mother-in-law. Of corn nuts and Caraba's bread. <laughs> and Naomi is blown away. What, what, what? Can you picture her face? In verse 19, her mother-in-law asked, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the name of the man who noticed you. Naomi is giddy. Remember the last time we saw Naomi? Bitter, Mara, hateful, upset. God has done me wrong. When Naomi, when Ruth left that morning, Naomi was an Eeyore. But when she returned, she's like celebration. Look at the change in her, 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 her manner, her, her attitude. She's gone from bitterness 
to blessedness. Brothers and sisters, could it be that in the midst of our sorrow, God is plotting our satisfaction? Could it be in the midst of our sorrow, our bitterness, our anger, our sadness, that God is working behind the scene to weave for us a story that will later lead to our celebration. Now, here's the deal. The best news is still not to be told. Yeah, I mean, 30 to 50 pounds of barley, that's a pretty good haul. But Ruth knows there's something better that Naomi is going to hear because Ruth knows where she's been working in the field of Boaz, but she has no idea who Boaz is. Naomi knows who Boaz is But she has no idea which field Ruth is working in. And so you see the tension in the very next sentence that comes out of Ruth's mouth. The narrator leaves the name of the man in whose field she's worked in to the very last word in the sentence. Here's what it says. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The man, the name of the man I worked with today is... Boaz. Boaz? Boaz? You mean the field you worked in today was the field of Boaz? The the man who gave you 30 pounds of grain is, is Boaz? Naomi can't believe it's sweet to her ears. The the one who said, come back any time was Boaz. Verse 20, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not stopped showing kindness to the living or to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. This is really important to understand, a kinsman redeemer. Remember last week we talked about if you are, uh, if your brother's wife, your sister, I'm sorry, if your brother passes away, you are obligated to marry your sister-in-law, your brother's wife, because they kept the family together. And when you have a son, that the son will then inherit your brother's fortune in his land and his possessions. Well, when there are no brothers to marry the, the widowed women, then the member of the clan has the opportunity, not the obligation, but the opportunity to redeem their deceased family member's possessions. It means he receives the family, the possessions, um, the land. And the idea was once you have a male offspring with that widow, with your new wife, then that offspring would receive back all the land, all the possessions that would have belonged to his father. It was a way to keep the clan's possessions all together. It's called a kinsman redeemer. And Naomi's saying, this man has a opportunity, a right to redeem us, to take that piece of land that we uh, family that our family owns to, to, to marry us, to bring us into our family. Naomi's faith is being restored. Maybe God hasn't forgotten us after all. Her bitterness is being replaced by thankfulness. And this turnaround that happens in Naomi's life where a sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. This mother-in-law is plotting. Let's just wait. So Ruth, verse 23, stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. 
And as chapter 2 closes, nothing happens. The harvest continues maybe for six more weeks, but Boaz doesn't make a move. There's no second date. There's no, hey, you want to grab an ice cream? There's no, hey, I know a good falafel place outside Bethlehem. Nothing like that. She's living with her mother-in-law, working to glean the fields, and waiting. I think every text of Scripture can point us toward the gospel. And we would be, um, it would not be fair for us not to look at what the gospel connection is in Ruth chapter 2. Well, three things I want to share with you is this. First of all, I believe we see that God is sovereign over our situations. God is sovereign over our situations. Ruth did not accidentally end up in that field, did she? She didn't just accidentally happen to walk into Boaz's field. She didn't just by chance happen to be there when he arrives. She didn't just by chance meet a gentleman full of kindness. She didn't just by chance meet a man who could be a kinsman redeemer. No, it was orchestrated by the power of God, weaving his story in her life. She didn't even know it. Because God was was working out this thing. It was just a natural decision for her. Just naturally walked into the field. But God was working in the supernatural realm to bring Ruth and Boaz together. And notice what Ruth said. Ruth doesn't say, hey, I found a good field. I sweet-talked that man into letting me have this, this meal with his family. Because I'm so nice, he allowed me to come back and keep gleaning. No. They're giving glory to God. God has done this. In our lives. You know, sometimes we can take credit for what God has actually done. We've got to be careful about that. Have you been to a, a, a child or grandchild's t-ball game? Or maybe driven by the field and watch a t-ball game? And you've got this little boy who's up at the, the plate and the tee's there. And they got the ball on the tee. And he hits the ball. And he hits about an eight-foot dribbler to the pitcher. Of course, the pitcher's there and the ball goes right underneath the pitcher's legs. And so the boy runs the first base. By the time the pitcher gets it, he throws it to first, and it goes over top the head of the first baseman. So the batter, he's running to second. The, the right fielder runs in there. He grabs the ball. He throws it. He can't quite make it that far. So the kid hits second. He starts running toward third. The second baseman throws it to third base, but the ball ends up in the outfield, and Jeffrey's out in left field, and you got to wake Jeffrey up because he's not even paying attention. And then finally Jeffrey gets the ball while the boy's rounding third, and he tries to throw it back in, but he can't make it, and the boy scores. And you got mama up in the stand saying, my baby just hit a home run. My baby just hit a home run. You're like, no, your baby hit an eight-foot ground ball to the pitcher. (laughs) Your baby may have technically scored a home run, but he had a lot of help. You know, sometimes we can think, look what we did. I rose to the top. I got a great family. All these accolades. We hit a home run. When it would not have been possible had it not been for the sovereign hand of God weaving and waving our lives to bring about His glory in your life and mine. First, we're reminded that God is sovereign over our situations. I love the song, God Moves in a Mysterious Way by William Cowper. William Cowper wrote this hymn. He was in an insane asylum when he found a Bible. He was a, a 
patient in an insane asylum when he found a Bible from a nurse who had left it by. And reading that Bible led him to come to know Christ as Savior. And he wrote the words of this song, God Works in Mysterious Way. Listen to these words. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Naomi had tasted bitterness. And now, because of God's movement, she's realizing how sweet He really is. God is sovereign over her situation. Secondly, Boaz serves as an example of the goodness of God. We see a picture of God. God is much greater than Boaz, but we see some of those characteristics portrayed in his life, how he cares for the poor and powerless. Ruth and Naomi had nothing to offer Boaz, but yet he's kind to her as she's serving in the field. He seeks the outcast. You notice every, almost every time Ruth's name is mentioned in chapters 1 and chapter 2, it's followed by the term Moabite. Ruth the Moabite, or sometimes they just call her the Moabite, and that's where they leave it. But not Boaz. All in chapter 2, we never see him use the word Moabite. In fact, he sees her not as the outcast, but he sees her as created by God in the image of God and loves her for who she is. And our question is, how, how do we treat refugees in our land? How do we treat immigrants in our land? And those are difficult uh, political uh, decisions. But I just want you to know, as part of a, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, when you give to the cooperative program, you're helping to support refugees. A few years ago, or maybe not a few years ago, recently when um, our troops pulled out of Afghanistan and a lot of Afghani refugees needed a place to go, Kentucky received about 1,500 of those. And because your church is a cooperative program giving church, you help provide care for about uh, 1,200 Afghani refugees living here in Kentucky. Because we cooperate together. Boaz serves as an example of the goodness of God. Boaz showers the needy with grace. In our affluence, sometimes it's hard to imagine what it would be like for us not to have food. But the picture here is of Ruth traveling back from Moab with Naomi with nothing. No one to provide for him. And now they're being served by the master of the harvest himself. Day one, she walks away with 30 to 50 pounds of grain and a leftover lunch. She receives more than what she could ever deserve. She did not deserve that type of generosity, yet Boaz gives it to her. Folks, we do not deserve the grace and mercy of our great Lord, but he extends mercy and grace to us. He showers the needy with his grace. You know, Boaz is not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of the story because there's a greater... While Boaz was a master over his harvest, there was a greater master to come to Bethlehem who would be the Lord over the entire harvest, King Jesus. Third, we're reminded in Ruth chapter 2 of this desire that we need to consider returning to God. Remember, chapter 1 ends. Naomi is bitter. She's upset. She's changed her name to Mara. Almighty has done me wrong. But over the course of chapter 2, we see this start to change. She starts to see God's work in her, her life. And we see Naomi start to make this return 
to God. You know, the wonderful thing about our God is we're not good riddance to him. He doesn't forget about us. Even when we run in the wrong direction, he allows us to make our return. I was reminded of that recently. I was in, back in the spring, I was in Muhlenberg County meeting with a pastor. His name is Greg. He's got some family members actually in, in this church. And um, Greg pastors a church in Muhlenberg County. He's also a coon hunter. And he's got these uh, coon hunting dogs. Uh, he, doesn't, uh, he, he does competitions with them. So year-round, he's training them to track raccoons. And so Greg invited me to come have dinner with his family at their house. We had a great time with him and his wife, Stephanie. And, and then that night, he took me out coon hunting. I'd never been coon hunting in my life. The closest I ever got was watching where the red fern grows as a kid. And he gets me these waders, and I'm wearing these waders up to my waist. And we go out at night. I got a big headlamp on. And him, uh, Greg, and his friend Raymond were in his truck, and we're heading out to the place to try to uh, find some raccoons. And he's got these two dogs, Willie and Bama. And uh, um, he's got Bama there, and he lets go of Bama, and Bama shoots out like a rocket. I mean, just as fast as he can, chasing after uh, a scent of a raccoon, while Willie is just sitting there. I mean, going nowhere, just sitting there. And we hear uh, the dog start barking. And Greg, he could tell the sound of his dog, how it changed the tone of its bark when it had treated a raccoon. Only the master could, could hear that. And he had this GPS device that would track the dog wherever it would go. And he knew the dog was 932 yards away. That's like half a mile away. And so once we hear that tone, we start walking toward it. And once Willie hears that tone, he starts running to try to catch up with Bama. He wanted Bama to do all the work, and he'd get part of the reward. You've worked with people like that, haven't you? Don't want to do any of the work, but they want to be part of the reward. And so we're walking upon this, this, uh, this tree. Funny story. I, I don't know where I'm walking, and the water was up, and I step into a ditch, and I fall down to my, my belly button in water. And so soaked in, in the, the, the waders, I'm soaking wet, but we're still having a great time. And the dog trees these uh, raccoons like in a, in a den up there. And uh, we had just a great time, uh, great time together. And I'm asking him a question. I said, so how far will that tracker work? Oh, this tracker is like rated like two or three miles. It can track these dogs. I said, so how far would the dog have to go before you would get concerned? He said, well, if it was like a mile away, I'd be really concerned. Like sometimes a dog can get the sniff of a, of a deer and it follows the deer trail when they're not trained all the way and it can go really far. So what would you do if the dog's like a mile away? What would you do? He said, well, there's got this button that if I hit this button, it sends a tone to the collar and the collar will make a sound. And when the collar makes this tone, the dog knows stop what you're chasing and return to the master. You know, this weekend, maybe you've been chasing something really hard. And maybe chasing something really hard has taken you far away from God. And maybe this service this weekend or things that have happened this week are your master sending you a tone to say, quit running. Quit chasing. Quit running away from me and return to me. And maybe this morning you need to, like Naomi, 
you need to turn from your bitterness and return to God. We're going to have a time of invitation. As we do, I'm going to be down front. Your other ministers will be down front, ready to receive you, ready to pray with you. If you'd like to make him the generous, gracious Lord, the Lord of your life, or if you'd like to turn around and return to your master. Will you stand as we pray together? Father, we give you praise and glory that are due your heavenly name. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will help acknowledge your sovereignty even when we don't understand that we will trust in your sovereignty. Lord, we praise you that you are a generous, merciful, gracious God who while we don't deserve it, you extend a generous portion of your love and care to us. And Father, we know that even despite that, many of us have been running far away from you, chasing things that are leading us away. But we pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would send a tone to them and prompt them today to return to you, Father, the Master. We ask this in the name of Christ, we pray.